Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast Season 6 with your host, Dan the Fitness Man. Thank you for tuning in. We are excited to have you. This is the podcast that is dedicated to hard work, disciplined decisions, and year-round training in the pursuit of the best possible version of ourselves. We leverage elk hunting to create a pathway. We understand that time is finite and we cannot squander a second. We must be leaders at our home. We understand that faith is our number one priority. Then family, then fitness, then health, then wealth. Our year-round disciplined decisions help us leave a legacy for our family to follow. You will leave here motivated, inspired, and educated. We bring on a wide variety of guests subject matter experts so that you can tune in get what you need to get and continue on your journey we are blessed to call ourselves elk hunters season six here we go welcome to the elk shape podcast today i'm sitting down with one of my really good friends santino castellanos he's been on the podcast before and he is one of the luckiest guys i've ever met he won a sheep hunt from the Western Expo a few years back out of one of the raffles. And what do you know, this year, his name was pulled out of one of the $5 tags. He has himself a once-in-a-lifetime Utah moose hunt. The guy's awesome. He's very blessed, very humble, and he's a hard worker. Without further ado, this is Santino Mantino, and you're listening to the O'Shea Podcast. What would you get if you had a $5,000 Vortex Optics shopping spree? For me, I'm getting UHD 10s or 12s. Definitely going to get a rangefinder like the 3000 or the 4000 Razor. What would you get? Are you in the market for a new spotter or rangefinder from Vortex? 
maybe some of their tripods that are made out of carbon because they're super light. You could probably get all that and then some, plus an additional 500 bucks to shop at Vortex online apparel store, Vortex Wear. All you got to do is head on over to joinvortexnation.com for your chance to win. That's joinvortexnation.com. Sign up for their e-newsletter. Takes like 10 seconds, no catch. You're automatically entered. The deadline is March 31st. Get on it. We got the repeat guest. So what is good, Santino, in 2023 for you? Oh man, I life life is really good. Um, I think uh, balance balance is a big thing that that I've been working on for the last couple of years. Uh, between you know navigating you know what the path and life is going to look like. Uh, my oldest son, Aiden, who is 19, now my business partner uh, with Out of Bounds Media, and he's really you know taking off. That's that's just like a weird thing to say. Cause like, I remember when we first met, you know, my, my sons were young, you know, they were like your kids age. And, uh, you know, I just had some, some young kids rolling around and then like right now we're looking at colleges for Jaron and like Jaron's like, he's an easy guy to like be jealous of when it comes to like him and his time in the field, because like this year he just had a banner season and was just kind of like, yeah, you know, goes out, shoots a, a nice bull, really big bull, probably the biggest bull we've ever taken in our home collectively. He killed, a, he killed a really, really big bull, uh, and then grabbed his bow. Didn't want to go home for Thanksgiving because we already kind of had this plan. And then he goes and he arrows a really nice buck. Uh, but it's just, you know, with his bow, and it's one of those things that, like, just seeing the man, like, ten years doesn't feel that long, but like, you know, ten, fifteen years I've been in this space working in it, just to see my, you know, now all of a sudden I got you know, a son that's working with me and is my partner on the business side. And I got a kid graduating. It's just kind of a, it's an interesting time to say the least. Yeah. And you're young, man, like 38, but, uh, your oldest boy being a business partner day in and day out, like what a life's funny that way, but what an evolution, you know? Oh yeah. Well, it's like, I felt like, man, COVID was probably one of the biggest blessings for our family in the sense of time. I know it was a hard time for people, people that got sick. I don't, I don't want that to, uh, you know, be misheard. So I feel bad for people that suffered with getting, you know, really sick or people that lost people in that. But for, from a time perspective, my kids were in school, so they had a ton of time off, uh, or just were able to work remotely from, you know, wherever we were. So like Aiden and Jaron spent a ton of time with me in the field from spring turkey hunting and, you know, working out of hotels in Nebraska. Actually, you know, Krishana was with us a lot on that too, but she's also stepped into a bigger role with her dad's company. So it, she hasn't been able to be in the field with us as much. However, um, having that time with Krishandra and like the boys and then really with Aiden and to see his creativity with a video camera, I remember putting a camera in his hands when he was like 12 and now he's just like grinding on it. And he's like, it's, it's what he loves to do. And he's also, you know, he's a big fisherman. That's a, that's one of his first, you know, passions. So for me, it, it's awesome to see him come along. It's also awesome. Like, you know, to have that, learn that while well, we're both learning it, but he's done really well. And I'm very conscious of it is having that separation between work and me being his dad. Right. Like, and I like the pushback that he gives to me in business and all that kind of stuff. And we both respect each other, but I, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a way better space for 23, man. Like we're, we're going into some really awesome times for our company. We're actually opening up uh, offices about eight minutes from our front doorstep. So we're getting about 5,000 square feet. Uh, Cause we got a couple things happening. I'm actually bringing a, 
a product to market in a completely different space. So like Aiden's really running all the day to days and we have several different contractors that we work with. So for him to be in that role and managing that and, you know, me doing what I'm, well, I I guess what I'm good at and that's connecting people and connecting people like with our company and, and getting them dialed in with Aiden. It's actually a really fun, interesting role, uh, you know, to be able to have that and see him flourish. So you guys had to move space. That's, that's a good sign as far as I can tell, like, is that going to, yeah. Tell me about that because, you know, working from home, I personally love it. Like I don't want an office. I have an office here and I, I love that. But what was like the final decision to, to move to, you know, a satellite location? Well, part of it is like, so we were already looking at offices prior to COVID, but what essentially happened and, you know, for people that are listening and don't know what we do, I run a media company that we primarily work with brands and try to tell their stories, uh, you know, and help elevate brand awareness through video and digital content. But anyways, uh, you know, through that, I, the, the office thing was going to happen prior to COVID, but then COVID hit, everyone kind of puckered up. No one knew what was going to happen in the world. It was an interesting time. And then we got through that and, a lot of the stuff that we do film and shoot, you know, for the most part, we actually go to different locations, you know, we're on hunts or we go to someone's headquarters and we film that. But uh, with a lot of the brands that we're working with now, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for in-studio stuff. So when it's just Aiden and I, it's not a big deal. We pretty much turned our unfinished basement into, uh, you know, just grinder studio where we can flip things around. But like the shifting and everything is starting to become a little bit more uh, frustrating and we've outgrown it. Like now we have clients where uh, we're having client, like an exciting new client that I can talk about now is Morosco Forge. They do the, um, they were like the creator of the like actual ice bath. You know, they, they create a sheet of ice that comes up and obviously cold exposure has been a big thing now. So they're out of Arizona, but we're going to, we're basically building like a, a studio that we're going to be doing a ton of content for them on behalf of them, you know, with their ice baths and all that. And the owner, Adrian and um, her husband, Josh, they're going to be flying to Colorado because it's easier and we're going to be doing just a bunch of different videos. So it, we're at a point now where we have a lot of brands that want to do that and they just want to come in studio. So it makes sense that we have something like that, that we can offer. I, I feel way better about doing that than bringing them into my basement and my personal home. Not that I don't trust them, but it's just like, we have the space, we have a great opportunity. And then now that we're bringing a different product to market, Hey Alicia, I see her in the back. Santino says hi. <laughs> she says, what's uh, but, up? Yeah. But anyways, with some of the stuff that we have coming up, it, it's just going to be a great opportunity. And then we, you know, there's a, a nonprofit that I'm starting that's called ask me about hunting where we're really trying to talk about the heart of hunting, which I'd love to have you on that. We're going to be t- trying to tell more hunt stories. I think there's a lot of, uh, there's great information out there. And I hear a lot of people say, well, I hunt because, you know, I want to put food on the table or I want to be part of that full process. And, you know, hats off to anybody that does that. But if you're a bow hunter, I think the average success rate with a bow is, let's just call it 8% or I'll even round it up higher. It's not this high, but let's call it 10%. So that means 90% of the population of bow hunters aren't putting food on the table, right? So it's more like people hunt because they love it, that there's something in here that when they experience it, uh, like I was listening to your Rich Broning podcast, like he just, he did it. He fell in love with it. He was hooked and it took a while for him to have success. Right. And, uh, that's one of the things that I think, I think it's okay to talk about that. You want to do it because you just want to do it, that there's something that clicks and you just want to do it. It's not, 
for a lot of other reasons that I think people put out there. I'm not saying that those aren't good reasons. I'm just saying that's, I don't think that's the end all be all. I think there's a deeper story behind it, but anyway, through all the stuff that we're going to be doing, that's kind of a component why we need the space as well. So there's just, I got a bunch of things, you know, me, dude, I'm grinding I'm hustling. I'm trying to just, uh, now, now I have a lot more writing on, it's not just me and you know, trying to Santino trying to figure everything out and, and do all this. I got a partner in it. Now we have, you know, contracted guys and we're hiring two full-time employees here in the next month. So it's, uh, it's awesome. Dude, that's awesome growth. Um, I'm not surprised you do hustle and you've always been into filming since I met you. Like you've always kind of just been taking still photos and doing, you know, little cool documentary pieces and fast forward. Now you're really working with some bigger companies. Uh, this ice bath thing has been taken off, man. It's like, it's like the new, you didn't work out unless you post about it. So trust me, I know that. Uh, you didn't take an ice bath unless you didn't post about it. Uh, so tell me more, a little bit more about this company. Um, yeah. So like, I think that, well, again, you being in your CrossFit background, ice baths or, you know, cold exposure, that's something that's not new to you. You've known about it for, for years. It's kind of like, I would say and a lot of people in that space have, I think what people are starting to understand and obviously guys like Joe Rogan that are putting up, you know, videos of them doing it between the sauna and the ice bath thing that they're really starting to, there's a lot of discovery in more than just the physical health, mental health, you know, that there's benefits to it. Right. And there's, there's a wide spectrum of, you know, people that believe like, well, it's just an adrenaline rush and, you know, or it makes you more mentally tough, but any of those benefits, I think it's, uh, it is interesting because there was a documentary on um, what is it? National Geographic, Chris Hemsworth. He, he did some cold exposure like up in Norway where he's jumping in a, a pond and like the guy that he has on there, I don't think they gave him enough credit. He's like known for cold water swimming. The guy just jumps into it. Like, it, you know, you'd be jumping into a, a Las Vegas pool when it's a hundred degrees out. He has no issue with cold exposure and is immune to that. So there, there's a big buzz on it because of some of the, high level people that are pushing it right now. But I think, you know, with Morosco, their approach is really like meditation going into it, getting your mind focused. So like the people that are doing cold exposure, like not after a workout, but like first thing in the morning, which is probably one of the hardest times to do it. Uh, they're really getting your mindset. We went, we went and visited them because we were touring colleges for Jaren at the beginning of December. And when we went into their headquarters, I had no idea what we were in store for, but Adrian, she's incredible. Uh, she, it was me, one of my really good friends, Jaren and Cassandra, we sat in there, she kind of gave us the run through and I didn't know that we were all just going to take turns going through this meditation process. And it was, you know, for me, I'm a, you know, spiritual type person or, you know, I, I'm a connection person. So like there was this, this meditation that she walked us through where it wasn't like do a bunch of push ups and get upset and just get in the bath and like do you know, it was very methodical, very slow. And like, even though we went and played golf after we were, you know, done and it was like 70 degrees after we were done, like I was cold all day, like just naturally having my body to warm me up. Like there was a, there was an element there. My brother-in-law, sorry, my brother-in-law was also there. And like, I was really proud of him because I think mentally just, he, he has, you know, he has, he struggles with like depression and all that kind of stuff. So I felt like he was going to just quit if I'm being candid, right? I thought, I'm like, he's going to get in. It's going to be too hard. And he might quit. And he yeah. stuck it out. And when he got out of it, he felt like he could do anything. And he gave like this big roar. He's like, ah, <laughs> you know, after he got done 
Jaron goes in there like a champ, jumps in, sat in it for the first time. His first soak is like a little over five minutes, which I think health benefits, max health benefits are like two minutes is what they say. But the big thing about the Morosco bath is that when you get in it, it creates a layer of ice from the bottom and then it floats up. So when you when we took the lid off, there's like probably a inch and a half to two inch thick piece of ice that you kind of have to break up. And, you know, I think mentally it's just getting into it. It was really hard for me to watch Cassandra's experience because she just like, she had a really hard time. You know, she's tiny and she gets in there. You know, it's really when you put your head back and your neck is sitting up against that thing, you know, she kind of just, you really want, like she, the Adrian, she wanted us to audibly breathe out to breathe through it so you could get used to it. So it's kind of like a, uh, type thing and when Krishana was doing that you could just hear the trembling in her voice and like because I'm her husband and want to protect her I wanted to get her out of that situation but she wrote it out and she did like two and a half minutes of her soak and it was awesome man so it's it's unique to see you know some of the natural stuff that's coming into play where you know like there's benefits to ice bathing if you do it before workout or you do it first thing in the morning that you know tea levels and stuff go up and you know, I, I, I know a lot of guys that are, you know, my age, even younger, but especially uh, like even like our pastor at church, like all these guys are getting on tea, which again, I'm not talking about, like you need it and you got to use it. That's great. I just have a hard time even remembering to take a multivitamin if I'm being candid. And uh, I just feel that, you know, once you start doing tea, you can't get off of it or you got to, you know, and, and I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that like, for me, I could see myself getting myself into trouble if I had to do something or even take a shot once or twice a week. If there's something like, uh, you know, doing ice bath therapy and just changing my diet or whatever, and really working on longevity, I'm all about it. Yep. Yep. I think the testosterone thing is something that, you know, that conversation for me won't take place until I have an issue or something. And then, you know, I do understand that you're kind of making a commitment, you know, to go on that and that's what you're going to do, you know, going forward. I mean, you know, that's just kind of how it works. Whereas if there's other ways to bolster your T levels through high intensity workouts, um, this high level contrast between hot and cold therapeutics makes a lot of sense to me. Um, how you eat, I think wild game, especially things like that, you know, that it's all natural. It's all stuff that I kind of think we're kind of designed and, and we can learn more about. Um, I don't do cold baths too much anymore, Santino. I did so, I had to do so many from like 2010 to 2016 that uh, the last time I took one was over at Cam's house. And I don't remember what he has. He's got a fancy one that like That's it, the Morosco. Okay. That is a fancy one. And um, I was so humbled when I got in that. So I've taken a hundred plus ice baths in my life. And we're talking horse troughs filled with ice and water. Um, I first got exposed to contrast at athletes performance in 2006, where they had a basically like a hot tub, you know, just at a hundred degrees or one Oh two. And then right next to it was a cold bath. And it actually wasn't that cold. It was probably like low forties, but you would go three minutes cold, one, one and a half minute hot, and you'd go five rounds on your recovery days down there at uh, Athletes Performance. And that was the first time I felt the benefits of moving blood um, in and out, you know, vasodilation, vasoconstriction. And I felt that I felt like a difference the next day and for training. And um, so we took those principles with us when we started competing. All that is to say, dude, went on that run with Cam at his house. He kept track. He said it was 22 miles. We did three peaks, uh, three mountains, and then came down. And obviously, I'm not a runner. I don't like running. And um, 
I was like, oh, finally, ice bath. This is something that I can crush. And I got in that machine, and it went up to the base of my neck. And it's something about the water just barely being above freezing, and then it's circulating to where I literally could not catch my breath, if that makes – it should make sense to you. And so I thought I was going to be able to get numb. You know, like my ice bath, I usually can get numb in about a minute. I could never get numb, and I was so, I was like literally looking at Cam's watch, waiting for him to say "get out," and it was three minutes, and I was like, "I hate this. I'd rather run twenty-two miles again than get in the bath again." What's the deal with their ice bath, man? It is unreal. Well, they keep it right at thirty-four degrees, and then again, it the the filtering system is fantastic. You don't have to put chlorine or anything like that. The way that the ice is made on the bottom, like we're going to be diving in you know, a lot so I can speak to it with more, uh, you know, experience, but based on just being there and then talking with them and looking at their product, they, they're definitely one of the leaders in it. And basically Morosco Forge. So that is the same tub that Cam has. It's, uh, and, and like Rogan, I think, you know, that Rogan was like a leader in putting it out on his social media and, you know, they, they've done stuff with them. And I think they said, they've said that like Joe's bought like three or four of these for some of his friends or whatnot. But anyways, uh, these ice baths are just, it's just like a different level. Like I, I know people that have other ice baths that are in there. And like, I think the method of how you go into it's different. Um, you know, temperatures can vary. I've heard a few different people like one of, uh, you know, JJ Marquez, uh, Phil's cousin here. Yeah. So he has a, he got, he got a, um, a bath or an ice bath as well, but it's not the Morosco one and it fluctuates between, I think it can go down to like 37 or 38, but they keep it around like 45. So it, a 10 degree water change is, is huge, you know, especially in the mountains, wherever you're at, like, but being in cold water, like it's just way, way, way more intense. So I, I don't know. It, it's interesting to see like how that's going to happen. I, I've started doing cold showers in the last like six months and I've been pretty consistent about that. Like every day I do at least one cold shower and everyone's a, a little bit affected differently from it. But like, for me, it's like, I look forward to it now. Like the hard part was, I think two months ago, I started doing them first thing in the morning before I did anything. And that's rough because then you're cold and then you got to naturally warm up. But before that, after a workout, it wasn't too bad. But I've just kind of implemented that into my, whatever, my uh, jambalaya of working out stuff. I don't have, like, I, I'm not disciplined in one thing or the other. I just try to train so I can hunt and stay active and, you know, try to keep up with the boys now on the mountains. That's been a huge, huge thing for me. I'm trying to be like your dad. Mr. Rod, Mr. Rod. Yeah, dude. Well, I think the uh, the cold thing in the first in the morning is uh, next level. I've actually not done that yet where I just wake up and go, where's the cold shower or where's the ice bath? Um, I, I see I see the, the mental dividend for sure. And I am a subscriber of do hard stuff every day or you'll atrophy mentally. So I totally get that. And uh I'm just going to have to learn more, I think, because, you know, that's a pretty big investment. You better be a believer or get exposed to try one and, and see if it's for you. Uh, do, are you doing the sauna much or hot tub or just mainly sticking to, you know, the cold therapy? I do the, I do the sauna. I try to do about 22 to 25 minutes a day uh, when, when I am working out. And right now my training regimen, well, I went to ATA and we, even at ATA, you'll be proud of me. We did out of the five days that we were there, we trained four, which was great. Um, and then, you know, there was obviously no, like I could take a cold shower, but that was it. And the cold shower was fantastic. But the, the hot therapy stuff, so they, 
it's very beneficial that whether you're doing hot or cold therapy, that once you're done doing one or the other, that you give yourself like five to 10 minutes to like, you know, for your body to reacclimate. Because if you're like in a sauna, I see people do this all the time. They're in a sauna and really, really hot ones, you know, they're sweating. And if there's a pool there, like at our gym, there's a pool and then they just go jump in or they turn a cold shower on just to cool down. They get lightheaded immediately. And that can cause, you know, it, it can be, there can be issues there. Some guys are just like, oh, it doesn't bother me. And that's fine. Like know your body, know yourself. But same with the cold exposure. When we did everything with Adrian, she, you know, encouraged us to stand out of the tub, stand in like a warrior position, you know, basically just, you know, fist on your hips, chest up, breathing, taking deep breaths, naturally start to feel the blood start to recirculate. And then she has like a nice little hot sauna there. So part of what we're going to have at our office is we are going to have a cold therapy treatment with a hot sauna. And uh, Cassandra, that's going to be like a little side thing for her where people can actually come and get treated. At the same time, we'll be able to, um, well, can come and have that experience, I should say, more than treated. That's probably a better term. But then on the same note, we can, uh, you know, offer people that are looking at, you know, buying this experience. Instead of going to Arizona, they can come to Colorado or if they're in Colorado, they can look at these baths and demo them out, test them and then buy them. Yeah, so that's got huge. A couple things there. They, they got to have satellite locations so you can... Fortunately, I've experienced it to know that not all ice baths are created equal. I'm ser- I was seriously humbled by it, and I wish I had access to more. I would literally like t- to build up to where I could go f- five to ten minutes first thing in the morning. Uh, I think it would be a huge advantage. And, you know, if you ever watch any of my content, I'm almost always, like, wearing way more clothes than everybody else. I've always got a hoodie on or a puffy, and I'm just really easily cold. Like I hate hunting November because I hate being cold. <clears throat> so it's got to be good for you to help train for that as well. Uh, I I did want to talk about actual elk hunting today. Um, you live in Colorado, man. And as you know, if you looked at a snapshot of Colorado or even out West over the, I'd say over just the last five years alone, the landscape has changed, you know, let me give you a couple of examples, but we'll get into Colorado. Like when Idaho decided to get their tags sold December 1st, and there was a huge demand and only a certain amount of supply and people hopping on the internet, waiting in a queue to get their chance to buy an over-the-counter, theoretically an over-the-counter tag that you used to be able to buy at Walmart on your way up to the mountain. Now you're committing to Idaho before the calendar year is even there. So December 1st, they sell all their elk tags. Um, Idaho used to be your fallback state where if you didn't draw like a, a Wyoming general, even a Montana general, or maybe you didn't draw something in New Mexico, you could always just plan with your friends to go to Idaho, pick up some OTC and go. Now you can't even like Santino, if you and I wanted to hunt Idaho together, we couldn't guarantee it. I can't guarantee that you get the same tag as me on December 1st. And because of that, Colorado became the new, like not the new, but like really the only fallback state next to Washington and Oregon. And I imagine those states will probably increase some elk tag sales because of what Colorado's proposing. But just in the last couple of years, you guys had, don't quote me, fact checkers, let's just say 70 plus over-the-counter units. And if you just bought an over-the-counter tag for Colorado, you could hunt any of them, all of them, and there was no limit or cap. So we could have 
literally you would have more non-residents than residents hunting Colorado. And then I think two years ago, they took the southwestern portion and made it um, a draw. Didn't take any, could take you zero points or one point, but the bottom line is you're burning points to hunt the southwest corner. And then I don't know if they made this change for this year or they proposed it, but it looks like if you just go a little more north, still on the west, on the front, there's now more units that are going to require at least one point zero that you commit your points to. It sounds good on paper, but what does that do? If you continue to sell over-the-counter tags unlimited then and you got a double-digit units that require a zero points or one point, that now makes all your over-the-counter units even more bottlenecked. That was a long segue, but I wanted to lay the groundwork for what's going on in Colorado. Yeah, um, so... You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Those are all really good points, and again, like I... I I'm tied in with uh, Colorado Bow Hunters Association primarily because, like, I, you know, I support those guys. I think if, if there is a Bow Hunters Association uh, in states, I'm going to encourage people that you should support them. I think memberships are less than, you know, 50 bucks or, or whatever less for the year. And I would even encourage people to go to a different state to hunt, support those organizations because usually those guys are the tip of the spear fighting for, uh, or, yeah, I would say Colorado Parks and Wildlife, they're leaning on organizations to help them with rules and allocations and all that kind of stuff so for colorado that's true henry ferguson is um you know he, he's the chairman for the bow hunters association so i'm tied in because of the friendship and relationship with those guys it's a good group of dudes that i trust um and you know they they they're all bow hunters and, and they're passionate about it i think with colorado uh the landscape shifted a long time ago when they you know this was probably 15 years ago when they made deer all draw and you know that that changed it. Now I, the population and numbers were down, but it's still not tough to necessarily get a deer tag, but it's a different type of uh, an, an approach system when you're looking at trying, you know, to kill a deer. Colorado has really big mule deer. Uh, and, you know, for a guy that's bow hunting, I would say five or less points. If you know what you're doing or you grind, like you, sh- you can kill, you know, really, really mature bucks if that's what your goal is. And if you're just trying to get mule deer, I, it's a very feasible thing to do with a, a few points. So for out-of-staters, I think that's great. Uh, and, and you know, even for guys that are in-state, because that's just, that system is proven to be, I would say, okay. I don't think it's perfect, but what system is? With Colorado, we're having the issue now with elk. Um, and honestly, I'm going to be transparent. Like, I don't know where I stand yet on the all-draw system. Like, I think for residents, residents have 
you know, for me, because I'm a resident, it's easy for me to say, like, I feel like there should be favoritism or that they should lean on, on the favor of the residents that we should get first ride refusal. Like some states do that. Uh, and that's just a selfish act. Uh, but I, I'm, I think that there, there's some ironicness with, you know, the wolf introduction happening this year, uh, which, you know, we're, we're still, there's a lot of stuff there, but we don't even know what that's going to look like in the next five to 10 years. And then with legislation and, and who's going to be running CPW, there's a lot of shifting seats happening right now, or that's coming down the pike. So that's like, that's, that's very concerning. And I think with the whole, with the whole elk thing, um, it's, it's going to be tough because it's like, okay, you just introduced one of the, the, the most dangerous apex predator on elk and mule deer in this state. And now we're talking about limiting things. So those, maybe it's coincidental. I don't think it is. Uh, however, I think that, you know, the guys that are going to, the guys that are still going to grind, you, you hunted in Idaho, man, you, I was there with you and we heard wolves and that, that's just kind of an eerie feeling, especially when you're hunting where we were. And it's, it's unfreaking believable to see, like, you really don't see them, you hear them, but yeah, it's a hard species to try to hunt, even if they allocate a management plan for us that we can go and do that. I think, you know, for the elk hunters, it, it makes it tough because we have seen a lot of hunters, you know, the number of hunters that are in different units can be frustrating, but, uh, I, you know, for five years, they've already started chipping away when I say they CPW of what units need to, or that you have to draw for and which ones are going to remain OCC. So that's always, that's been a moving target, I would say, at least for the last five to seven years. They, they've added new units over the last five to seven years that now are draw. And they base that off of their survey that, you know, they send out at the end of the year, seeing if you harvested or, or not. And then they're looking at caliber bulls and, and all that kind of thing. So it makes it tough. Uh, you know, the second phase of that is the guys that have like 15 plus elk points, you know, for archery. The guys that have 15 plus elk points for archery they're going to almost be out of the game unless they get something in the leftover draw and let's just pray that those rules don't change. So the way that it works, like if you were to put in for a primary unit, everyone knows about 76. So I'm not like throwing or divulging any information that people don't know about, but let's say Dan, you were going to put in for unit 76, uh, which is a coveted unit takes about nine to 10 points to draw that now. And that was your first choice. You're, if you didn't get that, then you, you're, you're usually allocated a point. But when the leftover draw comes out, that's just kind of like a free-for-all, treated as like an OTC. If there's one tag available, you get it. It's yours, and it doesn't cost you any point. Just so everybody – does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So just, just to make sure I said that clearly because I got a bunch of thoughts in my head on it. But I think the uh, – you know, so if they keep it that way, then I think that'll be great. But it, it'll be interesting to see what that leftover list looks like. If they're going to make – everything draw are they going to have 200 elk eggs that are that technically were otc or if it's unit based or section based with maybe three or four combined units that's going to make it tough but the upside to that is i think for me if i'm being selfish for wanting to harvest mature bulls is that it's going to it's going to make it a lot harder for people that don't know the draw stuff and they don't they don't have a strategy you know to put in for that and they may just give up so the, the good part about that for me or for guys that are that are never going to give up on that and they're, they're going to learn the system, it's that, you know, we'll just have better opportunities to draw certain tags. It'll, it'll limit how many hunters are in specific units. So that could be nice for a while. But then the other issue comes up is now revenue goes down, right? Like, Big again, time. I think that there Big needs to, there needs to be... Big time revenue loss. Right. So with revenue going down, I think that's going to be a problem. 
but it's also it's not just a problem for you know hunters it's it's a problem for outfitters right so outfitters are only allocated x amount of tags per you know whatever acreage there is and i think you have to own over 190 acres now to even get a landowner voucher like one so you're talking big ranches you know 200 plus you know usually in the thousand acre mark and you know with, with outfitters i i think that's the thing that you know with all the new stuff that's happening and what's being proposed even if you're not a bow hunter and you're a hunter, I, I would highly encourage you to look into this and look at organizations like Hell for Wildlife or, you know, reach out to the CBA and find, like, if you come to Colorado and hunt, even if you're not a resident, you should be involved and at least put your opinion in because it matters. And, you know, the, the, it's astonishing, Dan, to hear how many people now know the issues about wolves and what it's going to cause. And they're like, man, I didn't even know about that. I didn't even know about that. Like, and, and we just missed the boat. I wish Hal would have been around before the whole wolf introduction and, and act came through. Cause I think we would have had a, a stronger ch- chance of stopping it. So I think, you know, the biggest thing is to pay attention because it is shifting. Uh, I don't think we're really going to see a lot of difference in the next two to three years. That's just my opinion. That's not facts, but that's my opinion. Uh, and I think that it, you know, it's, it's really going to affect like when my sons are, you know, like in their thirties, like in another decade, it, it, the whole landscape could just be completely different. So the commission meeting, I want to say it was more than one day and you could watch it on YouTube. My takeaways from the meetings, I didn't watch them all. So I'm, I scrubbed through them and I don't have a massive dog in the fight for Colorado. I kind of always have that like, dude, Santino, I live in Washington state. I don't have a say. I don't pay Colorado taxes, you know, so I don't live there. I don't have a say. I kind of respect whatever they do. I do have 15 freaking points. So I'm the guy you were talking about where, like, <clears throat> I started out wanting to draw, you know, northwest corner of Colorado. Didn't take but a decade to figure out there was too many people ahead of me. There's not enough tags getting, you know, issued to where I'll get my chance. I'm never going to draw that. Um so then I dropped down, you know, 61. And I, you can say these units because guys, as non-residents, you ain't getting these tags. Uh, 76. I can't catch that point creep. I can't catch it. I used to be like a half a half a point away. And I think now, even with 15, I'm probably two points away, which means there's thousands of people in front of me with more points. And there's only so many non-resident tags. My point of all this is if you scrub through that meeting, I think they... I think Colorado admitted they screwed up when, so back in my day, I used to write a check to put in for Colorado mountain goat. And I loved it because they had an archery only mountain goat and an archery only sheep. One of the few states that like have like not a general tag, but an archery specific. And you had to use a specific color of ink on your ballpoint pen and you had to have separate envelopes for each species and you had to write a check for the full amount they held on to your money they did the draw and then they returned your refund wasn't too long ago where they're like huh maybe we could have everybody put in for this and only charge like three bucks or five bucks a species um and they generated a ton more revenue because everybody was putting in to get an access to a mountain goat or a sheep tag and Colorado's always got like that three preference point minimum. So you kind of like have to get three years of putting in for those, you know, over the uh, once in a lifetime tags, moose, sheep, goat. And you had to get your, yeah, you had to get your three preference points before you were even considered 
in the draw before your name even went into the hat. But all that is to say, I think they did admit that that was dumb. They totally effed the odds up by doing that. Maybe they'll revert back to where you got to like actually front the money and send in a check or whatever. They're going to see some backlash if they do restrict most of the elk hunting to a draw like your guys's deer is now and only do that to archers and not the first season rifle, second season rifle, third season rifle. Cause what I, what I was gathering was they, they were going to keep the elk over the counter for rifle. Does that, was that your observations? Yeah. Right now they're just talking, you know, the proposed, well, I don't even want to like it again, it's been suggested, right? So that's, and it's for archery right now. I haven't heard anything else from, from Henry or those guys that are working with CPW. Okay. So if it was your world and you got to make the call, I'm going to put you on the spot. How do you solve this issue of, cause there is an issue. I mean, I haven't, I've done one over the counter elk hunt in Colorado. Uh, I had success, but I, I kind of back in the day saw the start of what people are experiencing now where you got 30 trucks at the trailhead. Yeah. Well, I think that there's a couple things, right? So like, just because I've guided, I think out of staters, I think that there, there's better options and programs. I, it's hard for me to define exactly what it is, but there are enough good outfitters in the state that have to jump through all these hoops where I feel like kind of like what Rich did, right? Like on your, on your podcast, he was talking about, he went and hired an outfitter, right? Is that right? In Montana. Did I hear that? Mm-hmm. In Montana. Okay. But like anytime you're looking at that, either going with a buddy that knows the unit that's been going there for years, that's a huge help or doing like an outfitter program. I think that there could be something like that. I would also go back to now, Wolves are coming. We can't do anything about it. But, you know, the, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I think by definition of why they introduced the wolves is so that they can restore the songbird and the beaver habitat, which, like, I haven't seen any evidence in all the beaver ponds and everything that we, you know, and I'm all over the state. And I know a lot of guys that are that, uh, you know, where you could really support that elk have damaged any of that kind of stuff. Like, you know, elk can, they'll drink from a beaver pond, but, you know, play, you know, there are some, I'll say, bougie elk that'll drink from rivers and all this other stuff. They, they just have way better options for water sources. You know, if they're drinking from something like that, it's, it's more of a necessity. And the moisture content that we've had in years, like, it just doesn't, those things don't add up, right? But, like, anyways, so that, that's just, like, you know, the weed stuff. I think the, the, the issue of overpopulation of elk um, in certain areas, like Estes Park, or, like, what they're doing, like, Eastern Plains, there's a list C, uh, unlimited, you, and... I've done really, really well on the, on those tags too, where, uh, you know, east of I-25 in specific units that you can, if you go buy three or four L tags, they're either sex and if you run into a group and you have those tags, you know, you can harvest whatever you legally have, uh, you know, licensing for. So, and then they also have that, they have like a specialty thing now, like where the great sand dunes are. My buddy, uh, you know, Clint, right. Clint Whiting, he ended up doing like a shooter course. And uh, he went and shot a cow there this year. And like, it, it's no, actually it's no bolts. It's not, it's, it's only cows. And they're just trying to get those, you know, elk off the sand dunes or, or but it's a whole qualification thing. And I still don't realize like just in this one topic alone for like how I would have it. I, I think that years ago, like when I was a kid, there was a guy from my church that got me, the guy that took me hunting for the first time. He got me on this whole thing where they had something very similar at Estes Park and then they shut it down. Then they had a SWAT team. I think it was Boulder SWAT or it was some, some, uh, law enforcement that was close by, went to Estes, shot a bunch of elk, put them in trucks, got them out of there, didn't even gut them. 
like in the field and who knows what they did with, you know, w- with the meat, it was just complete spoil. And this was back like in the mid nineties. And, you know, I think a, a big part of that was because like the town of Estes, they didn't want to see guts and blood. And it's like, well, if you've never seen the wolf kill anything, just wait, because it, that it, there'll be way more horrific moments that you'll have to walk by. And I actually talked with the lady that was on the board of PETA in Boulder. And we were just sitting down. We were, my, Cassandra and I, we were watching some football at this little local area. And she saw this, uh, this wolf shirt that I had on. And she goes, oh, are you happy about the wolves? And I, get, I said, no, I'm not, but here's why. And I didn't combat her like in a, I wasn't trying to come off defensive. I just gave her my story and the whole reason why I feel that wolves shouldn't be here. And she literally looked at me, Dan, and she said, shame on you. Where was that story before I voted? And I couldn't argue with her. She was 100% right. And that's where, you know, um, I'll, I'll lead on to a, a thing at the end of this when we like close out. But, you know, as far as like the elk tags go for allocations to kind of more give it, you know, what I would do in the interim, I, I do agree with some of the guys that have talked about allowing more residents you know, for those ratios to be a little bit more balanced, you know, between non-residents and, and whatnot. I'm not saying that may, maybe, I just think that the allocation for residents that get tags, especially in like the coveted units, I think residents should have, you know, a little bit more first go at it because I believe states like Wyoming, Montana, uh, I believe those states do that really, really well. Or if you're a resident, your tag, um, you I haven't, I only hunted Montana once. So I, you know, again, with Colorado, I think that if they just allocated that where the percentages were better, where more, more was going to the state, I think that would help. But I, I do also understand why the out-of-state revenue is so good. And that's where I feel that with all the access and all the land that is getting bought up, that there are programs where out-of-staters could have maybe a, a guided option or some trespass fee options. And, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of different plans that probably maybe they're, maybe they've been thought about or, or whatever, because people don't have the hustle in that space, but they're not creating these other opportunities for non-residents on a bunch of land that they could go out and hunt that, that would still be relatively good elk hunting where, where they kind of split it up. I think a, a plan sort of like that would be great. I would bring back the pay to play where you have to use a black pen and you got to fill out that that document. To me, that right there really, really hurt a lot of people, not just in the mountain goat and, and the novelty, you know, tags that you could draw, but definitely even in the elk. Like when you had to fill out, there's just an intentionality behind it. And again, I love the apps that are out there. I use them. I use the Go Hunt, you know, the Insider. I, I like it. I, and I use it every year. I encourage people to use it. Uh, Onyx Maps, but they're also this like you're never going to like, there's just, there's so much information that you can just almost become an expert or people that are diving into stuff. And I'm not, again, I, so people hear me correctly. Like I, I come from like a, I used to run gyms back in the day, MMA gyms. You can't just be a black belt because you know, the instructor, if you did, everyone's going to know it's fake or whatever. There's a, there's a rite of passage, even in the hunting, right. Where you have to like learn and dive into that Dan, you know that well, you've hunted so many different areas. I, I love watching your season where you're just grinding out and like, you just make it happen. Like, and there's a lot of guys like that, but there's so far more, there's so many more guys that are just, you know, using the Intel or whatnot and then diving into this stuff. And then all of a sudden when we start having all these issues, it's like, no one, no one's there to be found. No one's there willing to fight for it or at least voice their opinion. I, I don't think we need to fight for anything. I think that if you just present the facts and there's enough voices there, you know, we could make a difference. But, um, you know, the elk management plan is tough because I've been spoiled every year. I don't, I can build points and I can, 
Like I used 13 points to hunt uh, the Bosque de Oso down in Southern Colorado, shot a great bull. Uh, it, it was a challenging hunt. I, I talked to you about it. But at the same time, it's it, it's one of those deals that like now I'm building points and I'm going to my OTC unit. So I'm really comfortable because I got a great OTC unit uh, that I can hunt and I kill bulls out of every year and I kill really good bulls out of it every year uh, because that's my thing. I like shooting mature bulls. Uh, and for for something like that, you know, maybe this, again, I'm, I'm trying to see both sides of it. So it's hard for me to give a, a definitive answer uh, because the other side of it is, is like, you know, with this new system, it might make me think about using my points differently, but I, I don't know, man, like there, there's a lot of stuff happening. And like, I, I've talked with a few people about it and it really depends on like, I think whatever's better for elk coming is that that's what I'm going to support because what I, ultimately what I want once I expire and I, and, and I hit my expiration date, I want hunting to be around for my sons. I want to be around for my grandkids. So what I will say is like, no plan's perfect. But whatever we can do and, and however we can align so that hunting continues to happen, bow hunting, you can continue to chase elk. And it's not, it's not like an Arizona thing where, you know, I know residents in Arizona that they've been waiting seven, eight years to draw a tag. And, they'll, you know, so I, I couldn't imagine only hunting seven every seven years in my own state. That would be tough. But I, I just think wherever you can, wherever you can provide opportunity that allows hunting, bow hunting to continue for, for elk and mule deer, you know, whatever plan that could be, like I'm in full support of. Question for you as a resident, when you get your elk tag or elk license online, is there an optional park pass or something that you can opt out of, or it's like a $35-ish fee or something? Yeah, they offer that. That's just like, you know, if you're going to go through, you know, a lot of guys that hunt by Estes, like the winter park area, you know, I think they offer that for simplicity or if you're going to go to some state park stuff they they offer all these add-ons so i already okay. buy one every year because of the stuff that we do so i i, I just don't really i don't ever see that in my my deal because i i renew like almost at the beginning of the year because of all the fishing and stuff that we're doing so what is what do you think the current allocation is when it comes to over-the-counter elk hunting in colorado when you look at a ratio of resident to non-resident in the field what do you think it is last year right like do you have a pulse on that yeah, I think it's like it, it, uh, for non-resident, I believe it's over sixty percent. I think that's what I've heard it said in the past, but I, I, I'm I'm going to say that it's you know, and even with the guiding, I, I helped out a buddy this year, and there wasn't a resident around. Like literally, there was a whole group of guys. Everyone that we talked to, every place that we saw was from like Wisconsin. So again, I haven't ventured out of my spot, uh, you know, too much. I get, but even the spot that I'm in, I think it was at least 50, 50, just in bow hunters. There was probably eight other guys. And I would say 50% had out of state guys. That's crazy. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Like, I mean, that's literally, especially like where I'm at, especially okay. where I'm at. Like, and I'm not saying like, I'm in the middle of some, now I could see like off a of main road parking, whatever. But like, I, I bumped into a few guys this year. One was from Utah, which, you know, they're great. And the other guy was from like Kansas. And I'm like, how in the heck did you find this water hole? And usually it's somebody, you know, somebody spilled the beans or whatever it is, but it, 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 it's unbelievable. And then the amount of guides that we guide, I would say almost 80 to 90% of them are out of state. That's so insane. like I, I, I've helped out a couple different outfitters, uh, 80 to 90% of those guys are definitely out of state. So, which, you know, is great. You know, they're, they're, they're trying to, you know, they're buying an experience and they're buying information 
you know, and they're also looking to be on a place where they can have a chance to take in a mature animal. So all that to me is great. So if Colorado does kind of tighten up a little bit, which I think they are going to, obviously, they've already done it a little bit. Something needs to change. What will people do next? Like, how will they go to get an elk experience? Because I'm with you. I'd rather see people elk hunt every year than have to wait. But I certainly think, like, as a non-resident speaking, if I if Colorado was my go-to, but I couldn't go to it every year, I had to go every other, every three, but I had a little bit better experience. I'm cool with that. I think states like my state that has over-the-counter opportunity – in Oregon on the west on the western side of Oregon cuz that's going to be all you got you're not you you can't just go buy yourself an over the counter New Mexico or Arizona or Wyoming or Montana or Idaho I think that's and then th- those states will probably get inundated or people are going to quit elk hunting that's my fear right and this is kind of like what I said I I alluded to earlier um you know as hunters you know like we take and like, let's not make any, I, I, and I'll speak for me. I'll speak for my family and people that I know, like, you know, we're, we're, we're doing something that is like in our blood and I love doing it. Like I get passionate about it. And, um, and it's like, for me, like, obviously there's nothing like arrowing a bull is, is incredible, but also seeing other people do that or bring them to that experience. Like I look at for opening, opening day, I'm still like a kid. There's, there's nothing that provides that feeling. And I don't need to explain that to you, but like, you know, when you get on a ridge and even if you don't get a call back, but you know, you hear that faint bugle or the days that you are into those bugles, uh, that's something that I hope that I get experienced every year. Uh, and I, 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 and I, I gave this example to my, my wife cause she's like, man, you know, like, are, are you just going to keep doing this on? And I, like, she asked me that like years ago. And I think I was like in my thirties, I'm like, babe, like, let's say I, let's say I can pull a bow back until I'm 70. I'm 30 years old now and I can make it feel, you know, I, I can, keep shooting a bow until I'm 70, just theoretically. That's only 40 more hunts that I have left, right? Maybe add a few in if I get to go out of state. Like 40 years sounds like a long time, but 40 hunts, are you kidding me? And there's no even guarantee that I'll make it that long. So for me, that's just like, I want to enjoy every single one of them and like adding stress to guys. And and again, the people that are funding, the people that are fun, like it's, it's almost like, I feel like we're getting penalized for the good work that we've done. And when I'm talking about, we, I'm talking about all the sportsmen, but again, because of that, we've taken and we've taken and we've taken, we do give our money and we buy a tag, but I think it's more of like a challenge. And I'm not saying I'm guilty of this. Like there have been seasons in my life. I'm not thinking about, you know, what the bow hunters association is doing. I'm not thinking about the new laws that are getting passed. It's just like, I have a full-time business and, I, and we're, we're all busy. We all have our own passions and we have families and, you know, try all the things that we have to do to keep us busy. But I think that there's, you know, there's an opportunity now that if you want hunting to continue, especially like Colorado is a great state. I can't tell you how many people I know, like TV show guys that I know, uh, you know, from working at the network, there's so many people that rely on Colorado as a backup state, which I think that's great. And at the same time, it's almost a guarantee that, you know, that you can come here. And the only guys that if you start taking it away from like your blue collar hunters, you know, the way I was raised where, you know, you're going to the army surplus and getting your you know, a hundred dollar pair of boots or whatever it is and starting out your journey to, to bow hunting or just hunting in general, a lot of those guys are going to go away. The guys that are going to make it are guys that are, and, and like, that's part of my plan. Like, how do I, how do I create enough revenue to where I can justify maybe a twenty thirty thousand $30,000 elk hunting budget? And just so you know, I will, I, I've redesigned my life to 
hunt as much as I possibly can. And like, but at the same time, that's a choice. I'm not, I don't like have to do that. Right. I don't have, I could do the weekend warrior thing. I could do it, but it's like, I, I have a lifestyle now where I can hunt the whole month of September in Colorado with my son. And I love that. I can't put a price tag on it, but now there's a lot of guys that can't do that. And I empathize for those guys. And like they, so all that's going to mean is that there's going to be a lot of people that end up probably quitting. It's too tough or let you, or you're going to have to have money to be able to play. And that to me is kind of unfortunate because like, I, you know, there, there's so much more opportunity out there. I just think that people really have to understand what hunting, what the revenue does, like even just from a revenue standpoint, what that does. And now that we have the wolves, we don't even know what that's going to do yet. But if that starts physically knocking down numbers, right? Like there's just not going to be as much elk or there's not going to be as much deer or whatever, however you want to look at it, then we're going to have even bigger issues because now you're going to have way more hunters, not enough elk. And it's going to be one of those Montana situations. And that like, it's just tough to see that it go that way yeah i mean these are these are just our initial impressions you know we're speaking openly and honestly i i do think that um i mean i was trying to avoid talking about wolves as much as possible but uh Sorry. yeah you said we're not sure i i'm pretty sure what's going to happen with wolves is going to be probably what i saw here in washington state and what i saw in idaho so for new listeners i i didn't see my first wolf until 2010 i heard my first wolf in 2009 in idaho i don't even hunt where i grew up elk hunting where i took you bear hunting i don't even elk hunt there anymore because it's nothing like what it used to be i'm not talking from other hunting pressure we're talking about northern idaho doesn't even manage there's no management objective in the fishing game biology like there's no management objective so it's kind of like a free-for-all over there, or it was, and dude, I miss hunting the brush and, and the steep mountains. You know that I know those mountains like the back of my hand. You know that. You've experienced it. Like, I love that country, but I don't even want to, I don't even want to mess with wolves anymore, and I'm tired. I can't even tell you how many wolves I've seen in real life, over a hundred, and a lot of it's been competing against the same bugling bull that I'm going after. And then when you start shed hunting in the spring and you see the body count and how many elk didn't make it out of the winter, that's when, dude, that's when the wolves kick the most butt and they're an apex predator. It's when they're on top of the snow and the elk are getting buried in the snow. They cannot, and they can wear those elk out and they can switch, man. It's like tag, tag, you're in, chase that bull around till he's tired and we'll let send the next guy in. And they're just amazing at how they can get it done and if you've never watched them kill something please like man up nature is metal go watch a video on how wolves kill it's not like it's not pretty but it's nature as god intended and um you guys are going to have less elk and your elk are going to move to locations that you guys didn't want them to go and they're going to go to those private places where those landowners are going to be bummed that there's elk all of a sudden eating out of their alfalfa field. They've never even seen elk. Well, why are they down there? They're trying to get away from wolves, and then you're going to have depredation tags. And uh, I mean, all this is to say, <laughs> what can we actually do about it? I don't know. Educate ourselves, observe, unify, how.org, great company, great organization. But like, 
at the end of the day, you guys are probably going to continue to get wolves like we did in Idaho. And then they're, you're going to be over your objective. So your biologists are going to be like, we need X amount of breeding pairs. And then how do you even like survey to know if you have enough breeding pairs? And they're always going to err on the side of more than less. And I doubt you guys will even get to hunt them. You know, we, we don't get to hunt them in Washington. There is no hunting wolves in Washington. And guess where a lot of our wolves go? You know, when a mature male wolf wants to leave the pack because he's just too alpha, he's going to go set up his own pack and he's going to bebop over the Idaho border and set up shop in Bonner's Ferry, where my good buddies from Stuck in the Rut have already trapped all the wolves out of there. Well, guess what? You got a whole new pack that just moved in and it's just constant refill. So you got me started on wolves, man, but like you guys are going to have issues for sure. And it's going to go, but you might have some aspens growing again and some alders and some beavers. So there, so there's that. Yeah. Well, you said it, unification and education, I think is, is huge. And I, you know, again, I remind people, I feel, I guess sometimes I feel like, you know, that some of this messages or the, you know, the messaging falls on deaf ears and I'm, I'm not trying to turn into this like huge advocate, but like I am a hunter and it, this is in my blood and this is, this is what I know. And like, there's part of me that is, you know, I've had talks with a lot of people from different con- uh, conservation groups. And like, you know, the biggest thing is it's selfish that I could be with my needs as far as like what I want to accomplish with the bow and hunting. Those are definitely becoming a second priority you know, to see what I can do to, to help for my state. So like, you know, God's blessed people with a, a bunch of different things. And, you know, one of the things that I feel it's communicating, talking with people and, you know, I'm doing whatever I can trying to help out. And this isn't about, has nothing to do with me. I'm thinking about my grandchildren. I'm thinking about, you know, just the experiences. Like I, man, like I'll fight for hunting. Hunting saved my life. You know, and I've said that, I said that on your last podcast and it saved my life. So like, I, I want to try to save it as much as possible. Um, you know, I think about like what the native Americans, when they were like after the little bighorn and I've seen movies on it, I, I forgot is, um, the sitting bull or someone, you know, they, they had this community where, you know, like certain days of the week, they would let a cow out in a corral and they'd let an Indian ride his horse in there and, you know, spirit. So he could get his kill because that was their tradition. And I feel like that's kind of what we're, we're doing with hunters. You know, it's, it's going to that space. Now that's dramatic, but you know, you're not going to pen up an elk like that, but it's like they're, they, they are penning them up or limiting the amount and who can do it. And it's just, it's it start it's scary to see, but it, it's almost on the horizon that, you know, we're, we're looking at that maybe fading away or just changing dr- dramatically. So for people like hell, I'd rather much hear an elk bugle than a, a, a wolf howl. You know, and I think that's one of the things that, um, and again, I have, other than what the, elk, what the wolves do to elk, like my beef's not necessarily, you know, with wolves, like God made wolves the way that they are, like it is what it is, but there's a reason that Teddy Roosevelt spent his term getting him out of the lower 48, you know, one of the wisest presidents and like people can say whatever they want about his politics, but that man knew like it was bigger than him just being a hunter. He knew what hunting was going to bring into every state, every Western state, he had this vision and, you know, he helped start, you know, the whole like fishing game, you know, that was the start of it. And the reason there is fishing game that you got to remember, like those guys were pretty freaking smart, regardless of, 
you know, like everyone has mistakes, everyone has flaws, but that was definitely not one of them. That was one of the greatest decisions ever made. And like those practices were for a reason. And because he was such a visionary and seeing what was going to happen. Now we're just kind of coming back to this whole thing where, you know, it's like, why are we going away from a model that was not broken? And it's just because other people are in it. And the number one thing is that they don't understand. So how can we help them understand? And that's part of this, uh, you know, this new effort that we have as far as like asking me about hunting is, you know, it's an opportunity to shine light on that and, uh, you know, like just be a good steward of hunting. Don't be a jerk to somebody because they're a non hunter, but just, I can't tell you, Dan, how many people, like even that lady from, uh, that was on the board with PETA that Cassandra and I had that bump in with that when I get to explain what hunting is for me and leave out the details as far as like, you know, and, and use better words like harvest or whatever, I'm not ashamed of, of what I do or who I am, but understanding that certain people aren't ready for that. Like the example would be this, like if you and Alicia were sitting down with your kids when they're young and you're watching a movie and you don't know what you're about to watch. And all of a sudden some crazy scene comes on that's perverse that you don't want your kids to see, you know, it's almost shocking. It creates this, like, you're like, Oh wait, don't look at that. Or if there was a, if there was something really bad that you don't want your kids to see, you're going to cover their eyes. Like that's not a, you know, for people that are anti hunters, I think not the ones that are like maybe just off the rails and crazy, right. There's different spectrums of it from, but majority of the ones that are maybe offended by it, it's primarily because there's just this like sticker shock. You show them a video of an elk getting narrowed or something like that. For them, it's no different than that experience that maybe your, your, your kids have. And I think there's a way to do it with, uh, with some honor, some dignity, a little bit of respect and understanding their, you know, their position. But then also like when, you know, the, the thing that I guess I'm trying to land on is that we, we've come, we're, we're going more and more towards the fact if you don't believe everything that I believe and I don't believe everything you believe, we can't be friends. And that is so backwards. Mm-hmm. It's actually what made us a great country. It's what made us have these great things. It's what's, what's allowed hunting to be great. There's a lot of styles of hunting that I wouldn't necessarily do because it's just not my cup of tea. But if it's legal and that's what somebody wants to do, if they're doing it and it supports hunting, then I'm for it. But it's just not what I'm going to do. But I'm not going to judge them for it. Does that make sense? No, so like for me, I think that's, that's something that, that's something that we got to like try to rally the troops and I'm getting a lot more passionate about for sure. Well, you mentioned, we talked about wolves. Like obviously I, I want them on the landscape for sure. Uh, I just think we should be able to definitely manage them very closely because they're amazing and prolific. Uh, and I do, I, if given the choice, I'd love, I'd rather hear a bugle than a howl or oh, I just, I'm with you on that. Um, they're an amazing animal. They're also a, a dog. And um, I think there's got to be some balance there, like you mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast with yourself. Same with that. I don't, I'm don't. i not sure what that balance looks like. But, man, gosh darn it, I would love to feed my family elk meat every year. Uh, the pay-to-play stuff does concern me a little. Uh, obviously, I've set my life up to be able to elk hunt. But I don't know if I've set my life up to have a 30 or 50K budget to elk hunt when I got little ones that maybe I should be saving for their college or whatever. I got a daughter. She's going to get married someday, and I should potentially think about retirement someday. But uh, honestly, the pay-to-play thing and what we can do as people in the hunting cult or hunting industry, I call it a cult, is to help promote opportunity for everybody and let them know how to get their hands on certain tags and, um, you know, not everybody gets to go hunt with, um, Joe Rogan or Cameron Haynes or John Dudley or Jocko Willink, you know, and and these guys get criticized for hunting private land or whatever, but the pay to play model for me 
is it's not going to ever go away. There's always the haves and have nots and hunting should not be it. I think hunting should have that blend of democracy for sure, but I don't think it should be like Russia. You know what I mean? Like a Oh yeah. Communism and hunting, I just don't know if that's going to work. So what I'm trying to say is I don't know the solution, bro. I don't know the solution. Um but I know if you compare what my gross income and what I spend on hunting tags and gear, I spend more, relatively speaking, than Joe Rogan. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Um, and so I don't fault those guys for being hunters the way that they hunt. And if I had an opportunity to hunt one of those ranches, and I would go for it, to be honest with you. I'd love to experience that, sure. But I don't mind the public land hustle. It's kind of how I've learned that elk hunt, and, and I respect it. Uh, but I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I think there are elk out there. There are opportunities. I think you're just going to have to flex. Maybe you don't get to kill a bull every year, but you do get to kill a cow in certain states or units. That'll fill your freezer. That'll get you out there. You can still experience the rut, um, just different target. I think guys like me and that do influencing can definitely show how we spend our dollars for conservation besides just buying tags or how we donate our time and resources and energy to, you know, worthwhile organizations that are doing things right. I'll be honest, man, I've been burned before. I've, I became a lifetime member of one organization and I watched them do stuff that I just don't agree with. And so I, you just got to be really careful where you put your dollars and your time. I don't think it's all doom and gloom though, man. I like to see the, the glasses half full. Yeah, no, for sure. And like I said, I, I think, you know, going down that road, it, it can create a lot of fear, which I think fear for, you know, to some degree is healthy because it reminds you, you know, if you're not afraid to do something like, I, I, I don't know, I think that there's an opportunity for, for that fear to turn into strength and, and realize that, you know, that there's, you know, things are changing and what part or what part of the spectrum can you fit in it? Like what part of the tribe can you contribute to, right? And, and, and that's like what it is. You mentioned the hunting community being a cult. And I, I agree. I'll just put it as a tribe and in the tribe, everyone does something different. You got your hunters, you got your gatherers or whatever. So if you got a skill and you can put it towards something, um, I just, I think that there's a lot of people that like, you know, just consume, 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 and then they never, you know, give back. Uh, and it's like, it does matter. But I think there's people that have a lot of self doubt, you know, they're like, well, I, I'm just a, you know, I'm just a construction worker or a firefighter that goes hunting with my dad or whatever. Who cares about what I have to say? Like, if you're listening, any of the listeners, I don't care what it is that you do, it matters. Dan and I were both guys that were just on a hustle, you know, 12, 15 years ago, just with a, with a crazy desire, fire, passion for this industry. And like, look what God has done. Like, you know, for, for Dan, he, you know, he's, yeah, I've always called him Dan the man, but he, you know, he, he has done really, really well for himself and like really just devoting his life to elk shape and really just inspiring people, like including myself. And like, you know, for us, I've just been able, like, I don't, the things that I've been able to do, like there's, there's just, there's so many incredible things that I, w I would have never guessed it. Like one of my first calls into this industry and I always bring it up was Dan Staten when he was running train to hunt with Kenton. And I, I just, I wanted to pick his brain. I wanted to know about the industry and you know, there, it, it's just the way that things, worked out it's been fantastic so like you can make a difference even if your objective is not to be in this industry full-time or or whatever that's not even what i'm talking about it's just if you have the opportunity to speak up or you know write something on this or there's an opportunity to vote 
or be part of a survey that helps um, or be part of an organization that does really do what they say they're going to do, I would encourage you to do it. Amen to that. Well, to wrap this up, we talked about a couple things. One, ice bath, cold therapy, it's a good thing. Check it out. Um, I'll be on the lookout for the new content you create with that company. I'm super proud of you and your new studio. That's awesome. Number two, we talked about, hey, Colorado's a moving target. Things are definitely going to change there. It's inevitable, but so is change. Change is inevitable. Nothing nothing stays the same. So we'll just keep an eye on that. Um, You can always watch yourself and send in your feedback and communicate with uh, these entities like Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Let them know what your two cents are. Uh, we also talked about wolves coming to Colorado. It's They're already there, and there's going to be more, and things are going to change there as well. And, you know, Colorado's politics has definitely changed over the last few years. And um, careful what you wish for, constituents of Colorado. Um, and then we talked about conservation. We talked about, you said Theodore Roosevelt, Grinnell, Boone and Cro- Crockett Club starting up, hunting in all the states, freaking Yellowstone. We're pretty lucky to call ourselves hunters. And I do think we got to keep that in the forefront, Santino, that hunting is conservation, but it's, it is more than just buying a tag and license, like get behind your keyboard, find some good organizations. Don't ask me because I don't know where the best ones are. Um, I've always mentioned Swartzman's Alliance. I I lean on them. They do a great job. Uh, Hal.org, our mutual friend helped start that. He's awesome. John Sloan's killing it over there. Did I miss any, or do you have any conservation organizations that you're really stoked on right now? Uh, well, I think you pretty much, you know, named them. I, I would also like, I look at your local bow hunter, like for all the bow hunters that are out there, um, or even if there is like a hunting organization in your state, look at them and, you know, maybe go to one of their banquets and see what they're all about. And if you feel like there's a connection and that they're making changes, like, you know, try to be open-minded because, you might not understand everything that they're going through and all the things that they're fighting. And they're usually all of them are nonprofit, but support them, be a member, you know, like at the bare, at the bare minimum, give them 40 bucks. That's like, you know, maybe not taking yourself and someone out, out for lunch or something, you know, that's <laughs> what it costs nowadays just to, you know, go to lunch with you and one plus other person. If you're, you know, just doing a quick sit down. So like save that money and, and, and maybe donate it to that or something like that. I was, you know, you get a write off on it anyway. So that you know, I don't feel like there's a lot of excuses. Well, keep up the good work with your boys. Jaren's bucks and monsters bull hell of a season. I love that you get to work every day with Aiden side by side, shoulder, shoulder with your son. That's super special, man. And Oh, and by the way, Santino is one of the most consistently successful bow hunters on this earth straight up the least that I know of and uh, very humble about it. So give him a follow. I'm going to put his Instagram in the show notes, follow their media guys. Thanks for listening to this conversation slash discussion on things we care about. We hope you do too. Remember separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. So with the Elk Shape Podcast audience, we want to let you know about all our partner discount codes or calls to action. Save you some loot, get you some good gear. Kafaru, we finally have a discount code, Elk Shape 15. Any purchase except for shelters. I run the hoodlum. Jake runs the hoodlum. Get yourself the duplex light frame or the tactical. I have both. I would say the tactical is a little bit better for colder weather, whereas the skeletonized duplex light works a little bit better in early season like August and September. Discount code Elk Shape 15. With the Vortex Optics discount code, you have to go to eurooptic.com 
Um, enter the discount code ELK10. It'll save 10% off any Vortex glass. We also have a Vortex wear discount code, 20% off all Vortex wear for your scouting, date night, or workout gear. Enter the discount code ELKSHAPE and it'll get you 20% off. Onyx Elite Membership, enter the discount code ELKSHAPE, it'll take 20% off. You will get the Elite Membership, all 50 states, plus access to the digital publication from Hunting Fool. You'll also get a Hunt Reminder membership included, as well as Top Rut and other perks. Onyx has been in the game the longest. Take advantage. Next is Numa Outdoors. That's the hunting clothing we wear in the backcountry into the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off. MagView, this is the digiscoping solution made easy. The discount code is ELKSHAPE. It'll take 10% off. Get the A1 and the B1 definitely for your spotter and your bino. It pairs nicely and uh, it's just a little magnet strip on the back of your phone. You don't have to have a silly phone case. Wilderness Athlete, new discount code for 2023. It is ELKSHAPE23. That'll knock 20% off. Look for the ELKSHAPE stack or the September stack and ladies, the Mrs. ELKSHAPE stack as well. Black Ovis is where I get my gear. The discount code is ELKSHAPE. It'll take 10% off. Fast and free shipping and the best customer service. Black Rifle Coffee Company, whether you want to become a member and have the subscription to where coffee is delivered to your door in the cadence that you prefer, or you want some BRCC swag, coffee mugs, and even RTDs now, enter the discount code ELKSHAPE, save 15% off anything at blackriflecoffee.com. Fatty Meat Sticks, a great, healthy, non-GMO, crappy, salty, no, this is the best tasting meat stick on planet Earth. Discount code ELKHUNTER gets you a little 5 to 10% off depending on what you buy. Check out Fatty Meat Sticks, Sheep Feet, Orthotics for your feet discount code elk shape take 10 percent off your sheet feet i have two pairs i always have a pair in my boots and my workout shoes i have high arches that really helps at first i was a naysayer now i'm a believer sheet feet works really well for me could work really well for you put it in your boot the elk collective the number one digital elk hunting resource you want to get going on elk hunting you can practice and learn from others so instead of listening to one person preach about how to elk hunt it's an army of subject matter experts teaching their ways of hunting elk Discount code ELKSHAPE podcast, all one word. We'll get you a discount to the elkcollective.com.